happy Sabbath. Your weather here in September is just as beautiful as it is in Michigan. Although the landscape is slightly superior, those who were uh, here at the earlier message who wanted to get the double dip on the two different messages heard about our love for your mountains. I won't repeat all of the stories. By the way, who, who, is anybody here back from the early morning service? Oh, good. We do have some folks. Um, how many of you have been to all four? This counting, this would be our fourth. How many of you have been to all four? Yeah. I might repeat myself slightly sometimes for the sake of those who haven't, but with much content yet to go, we kind of have to keep moving forward. Those who missed one or two or three of the previous messages, be here at sundown. We'll talk about how to catch up with what you missed, but um, session four is again pulling from the Media Mind series, Reclaiming the Human Soul in the Digital Dark Age. And before we begin with prayer, we are going to be in Genesis 1, and before we begin with prayer, I have to do my little historical quiz. Those who were at the first message don't give it away, okay? I spoiled it for you, but I told you this was coming in this message. So this is the real official rollout of the big quiz question. When was the world's first electronic media device invented? The world's first electronic media device. When was it and what was it? Don't say it if you heard it earlier, but um, are you thinking back to maybe the the old televisions of 70 years ago or so. No, before that. Interestingly, by the way, about television, my grandpa made a living, raised my dad's family selling televisions, which is terribly ironic that the media on the brain guy comes from that lineage. God bless my grandpa. He was a hardworking man, and most of the TV was pretty decent back in the 50s. Although tonight, you'll see maybe reasons to question that even, that... that um, decade of family values had some things slipping in already but uh, what is tonight by the way before we get the answer to this question 6 p.m conformed to the counterfeit reality we're going to see the agenda to manipulate the minds of the masses we're going to understand the pulling back the veil on what's really going on spiritually in this great controversy as it relates to entertainment media, the music industry, the advertising industry. It'll be the big expose, very eye-opening stuff. But what's the answer to the question? Okay, before television, it was radio. Before, the, you had the silver screen, you had the phonograph, Edison's phonograph. Go all the way back to, what is it? Say it if you didn't, weren't at the earlier one. Did you get it yet? What's that? That's the telegraph. 18, do you know what year? I'll give you a hint. It's a year in Bible prophecy. 2,300 years from 457 BC. The day of atonement begins. The sanctuary shall be cleansed. It was 1844. Exactly in 1844 that media was invented. Electronic media, of course, is what we mean by that. Isn't that an interesting coincidence? Maybe not. Maybe the Lord is to utilize media in the last days and it would build and become more efficient and all of a sudden we can beam out truths to the whole world. I think we can all say praise God for, say, Amazing Facts TV. I like them all. I happened to be at Amazing Facts earlier uh, last fall, almost a year ago now, and the spring before that doing two series back to back. One was called Seven Deadly Myths in Christianity and then we followed that up with America's 11th Hour. 
That was an especially fun one to do because did you know last fall was the 400th anniversary of the first Thanksgiving with the Pilgrims and Indians when they came on the Mayflower. So that was kind of fun to do some of that history and how does that relate to Bible prophecy. But not just fun. I mean, this is an opportunity to use media, right? Not just there, but the other networks and everything that we can do through our ministries to bring the truth. And also, media brings conveniences and beneficial things, right? Information. We like media. We saw this morning, though, the circuits in your brain when you're using your device are actually the love circuits firing off, among other things, as if you have a relationship with your iPhone, is what the neuromarketing expert at Apple explained. That's pretty creepy. But uh, we like media, and it's to be used by God for his glory, by us, God through us, and to disseminate the truth, as we said. But we know we're in a great controversy. Does Satan know Bible prophecy? He knows about 1844, doesn't he? So at about that time, he's setting about to utilize media to trip up God's people in the last days and all people, to deceive, to distort, to tempt, to bring in every form of worldliness and uncouth thing. So 1844, though, was foundational for Bible prophecy and God's movement in the following fact. When Samuel Morse sent the first text message in human history, the words he chose were from God's word. It was from Numbers 23, verse 23, and he, he, he messaged, using Morse code, of course, he messaged, what hath God wrought? He gave glory and credit to God for the inventions of human beings. The ingenuity we have was only given to us by God, right? And it can be used as a powerful tool. So that goes without saying that we can have positive uses of media. A few years ago when I last tested this, when you Google the word Sabbath, you get like the dictionary, and then you get Wikipedia, and then the very next one is an amazing facts website, sabbathtruth.com. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's the first, you know, uh, discretionary type of website, not counting dictionary and encyclopedia. So many positive, positive benefits. We have a great AV team here. Appreciate you guys. I messed you up this morning by not having my mic on when I came up, but things go smoothly here. Great new sound system as well. We have DVDs after sundown. We like media. That goes without saying. But the problem became, I noticed um, when we started doing seminars on media in 2012, we were, we were noticing, okay, media use has gotten out of control. We had the numbers. We'd list the data and the stats. I'll give you that again after we open with prayer in a moment. But the numbers changed so dramatically between 2012, which is when we started doing media on the brain, and 2016 when we were kind of hoping to, you know, fade out of it and move on to other topics. I like this topic. It's important. But we were going, how about this? How about that? But the numbers of media use were skyrocketing, not of quality good media use, with baleful effects. The, the percentage of Americans who were doing five hours or more, or more of screen time across the board between 2012 and 2016 doubled. And most of that was not healthy, wholesome, beneficial screen time as we've seen last night and the night before. But and then you fast forward to 2018. I already told you this this morning, but just for those who missed it, 666 minutes of media per day. That's, a, that's an ominous number, not a fulfillment of prophecy, of course, but a very large number that we want to be pausing and thinking about our media use this morning. So before we look at Genesis 1 and look at the information and the studies and the research on this, um, I want to begin with prayer as we ought before the throne of God, asking him for his guidance and wisdom. Bow your heads with me, please. Father in heaven, we pause right now to seek you. We know that this is not an exercise in just talking about media. 
This is seeking your will and asking for your voice to speak, not a speaker's thoughts and our opinions and preferences. We all want that set aside. We want to hear the Holy Spirit giving us discernment and wisdom, giving us truth, giving us conviction, giving us inspiration. This is what we ask for and we pray collectively that thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 1, verse 27. We read, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So much you could do on that one verse, isn't there? I mean, the whole Bible really is about that, isn't it? Who God is and how we are meant to be in his image and how sin has marred the image of God in man and how the redemption wrought out at the cross through Jesus Christ and his present work in the heavenly sanctuary is restoring the image of God in man. That's one of my favorite def definitions of redemption is the restoring of the image of God in man. You know, there are some physiological effects to start on a little bit of an uh, interesting note on the media use in terms of our posture that we assume when we are engaged in media. Do you do it too? Got to check myself on that. Hold this up a little bit. The eye hunch, they call it. Did you know you're putting 49 pounds of pressure on the upper spine when you're at a 45 degree angle like that? Not very good for us. In fact, the Washington Post put this out. Horns are growing on young people's skulls. Phone use is to blame, research suggests. A little bony protrusion at the back of the cranium there. Wow, that is quite something. Well, if, if we're like this quite often, like, you know, that, or like that, or whatever the posture is, if we're like that so, for so many hours, it's going to actually train the muscles, and it has. And I've heard this in headlines and in speaking with experts, some of whom are here, Dr. Cleveland, and I hear what's happening is a forward head posture that is more common among young people even. Normally as we age, we come down a bit, but young adults having this, and so, okay, can, can I pick on the evolutionists for just a second? You know this nonsensical thing about the monkey and then we became this over millions of years? They're going to have to update their chart now. Because if we're like this all the time and training the muscles to push the head forward like that, we're going to be less upright. What, does that matter? Well, first of all, did your mom ever say to you when you were a kid, um, stop making that silly face, wipe that face off of there, or it's gonna what? It's gonna stay that way, right? That's what's happening. That's what's happening. And what, what, what does that matter? Well, physiologically, God made us to stand upright, right? Genesis 127, part of our image bearing of God. A study reveals that a large portion of the population is not able to what? Can you see it from where you are? To breathe properly. When we're hunched down and crunched down, the lungs aren't taking a full respiration, which matters because that oxygenates our blood and to our brain and our thinking capacity can be harmed by improper breathing. This is why when I uh, read child guidance, among the first things to be aimed at in school and in the home should be a correct position both in sitting and in standing. So all of a sudden everybody including the speaker becomes a little self-conscious about okay huh, how's my posture right now? Uh, God made man upright and he desires him to possess not only the physical but the mental and moral benefit. Wait a minute there's a mental and a moral benefit? Grace and dignity, self-possession, 
courage, self-reliance, all of this is going to be improved by an erect bearing that will be promoting these things. That's, that's interesting. I didn't think all of those things would come just from good posture. I just thought that was something to be proper, you know, just some kind of minor thing. But it can actually help us. And media is harming us in this way. It says, let the teacher give instruction on this point by example and by precept. Show what a correct position is and insist that it shall be maintained. By the way, I won't be insisting on anything, even though I'm the teacher. I got to just watch myself because when I'm speaking, I see videos of myself when I'm speaking and I'm coming forward. I'm excited about what we're talking about. Years in the classroom of that, I guess, with the podium here and you come. So I'm working on that. Not the most important thing on planet Earth. We're starting with the lighter thing here than, than getting deeper. But uh, I do remember something I do want to insist on is I have an assistant, a junior deacon, my son. My wife has got a little uh, clipboard that I just remembered to have uh, passed around. I think he's going to bring it up to the front here. Yeah, thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. If you want to be Belt of Truth Ministries newsletter contact, because I want to hear you. I want your feedback. I want to be in touch. One weekend together is short. Put your email address, just an email address on there. We will be in touch. And just if you guys wouldn't mind just kind of snaking it back and forth to the back there. And then they'll figure it out from there. But um, I believe that God has wisdom for us in these councils, doesn't he? Like, for example, when the science is now studying this and you look at psychological effects of a slouched position, they identify a more fearful and a more depressed outlook and feelings when you're in that position than when you're standing upright with what we just read here. And, and that's not to say it's like some self-confidence, some self-help thing. It is the Bible speaking to us. It is no longer I who live, but what's the rest of the verse? Christ who lives in me. Doesn't that bring confidence and assurance that I'm being redeemed and restored to the very image of God? We looked at that last night. What is your value? What is your worth? It is in Christ. And so then we can step forward with confidence. If we're like this and we're low about ourselves or we're just in that position because of bad habits, then it brings more negative words, more negative outlook, whereas a positive outlook comes from standing, sitting straight up. Young people or all of us who are interested in cognitive health, how about academic skills and, and tasks. They're improved when you sit upright versus then when you are on a slouched position of some kind. Um, another thing about the physiological effects of media that struck me was a headline I read that teen and young adult cell phone related injuries are up 84%. I thought, okay, there's, there's such a thing as cell phone related injuries? They keep track of them, and they're up 84%. I guess so. People walking into things, or people, you know, majority of people admit that I have done that. I won't ask you to fess up on that. But it became serious when people started dying. Like, not just in traffic accidents because you're texting and driving, but pedestrian traffic incidents where we're so glued to our devices that here's the curb, right? I'm walking down the sidewalk, and I just walk into oncoming traffic, and boom, boom, and you have big problems happening. You keep thinking, this couldn't be more than one or two times. There were entire municipal governmental legislation that said we can't tolerate this anymore. We're going to move where the stoplights are. You know human beings have always lived up here. Image of God. We've always lived up here looking around. Faces, objects, lights. Oh, the traffic light. The little stop sign. The little man walking sign. We've seen this for a hundred years, right? Well now they said no more of that. You can see it on the screen, right? Put the traffic signals at curb level to meet people where they're at, right? We we live down here now. This is our new place, our new frame of reference. So, oh, oh, red light. Oh, yeah, that's the street. Oh, that's a bus. I might not have otherwise seen it. In Austria, 
they put uh, pads on the lampposts so you don't walk into them on your phone. And then this one is real. That's surveillance camera footage in the back alley. Yep, he's going to walk right into that. There he goes. That really happened. I hope he's okay. I mean, you can watch these bloopers and people laugh at the unfortunate. I won't make you watch it again. Can we just say the media mind is checked out? I mean, that's pretty much summing that up, huh? But the mind of Christ is engaged. Not just engaged with the bus and the hole and the object, but engaged with the people around us. Engaged with the needs around us, with the voice of God, with nature, with beauty, with truth, with goodness, with real tasks. Engaged in learning to be human again. Can we just put it that way? That's the name of the morning sermon. How to be human again. What do you mean? Are we not here? Well, what does it mean to be human? It's not just a biochemical breathing air and pumping blood function of our physiology. It's what is our psychological makeup? What is our purpose? What is our identity? Who are we and what are we like? How do we function socially as social creatures? We'll talk about that more in just a second. But did you know the average person touches, taps, swipes their device 2,317 times per day on average? That's an enormous number of touches, taps, and swipes if you add them all up. And when you multiply that by 365 days in a year, you get almost a million times a year that we're touching, tapping, and swiping these things. Almost a million touches here. I wonder, they seem to keep data on everything, but I don't know if they have this. I wonder how much I touch real things, real objects, my children, pets, you know, wood and nails, soil and plants cooking implements, you name it. Is it a million times a year? It might not be. I don't know, but we're starting to compete. The virtual world is taking over more and more territory of what was once the simple human experience of being image bearers of God. 2,617 times per day. Um, I think it was a little bit of a fraud. You tell me what you see in these subsequent slides. But when the social media giants were bragging a few years ago that we have made it the most socially connected generation in history. Do you remember those kind of statements being made? I put that in quotes. You'll see why. But if it's the most socially fulfilled, connected generation in history, then why was there such a thing called the cuddling with strangers craze that happened before COVID? I'm not making this up. This was a real thing. You're like cuddling with what? With, with strangers where you go to the cafe down the street in the big city and you hook up with strangers and they have little places you cuddle and snuggle together. This was a real thing. Or you could, if you prefer, you could hire professional cuddlers who hire out their services and you pay them money to visit you and platonically just snuggle and cuddle. That's sad, isn't it? That a society feels the need to go there or people, most people, are weirded out by that. But here's an option. Lonely? This chair will hug you back. <laughs> the promoter of this said, the chair is going to make you feel like your mother or a lover is making you feel so loved. That's not normal, right? What's going on in our culture? Well, we're just so socially fulfilled and filled up, huh? That we need to resort to these things. I know these are anecdotes. I like to go on studies and, and establish things. Well, here's what the Surgeon General said based upon the research, based upon the studies. He said, we've got a loneliness epidemic. This was pre-COVID. I can imagine it's only worse after or during especially. Former Surgeon General sounds the alarm on the loneliness 
epidemic. We have the highest levels of loneliness ever recorded. So maybe this most socially connected generation in history has become the most lonely generation in history because maybe social media is antisocial. And that's not to say everybody and every, every age and all times and purposes that it, that it is not to be used. So we don't make those kind of proclamations and prescriptions in the seminar. But for individuals, maybe that's the right thing. If it's draining us of our social time, of our being human time, and putting us into that altered counterfeit form of social that is making us more lonely. The more online only friends you have, the more lonely you become. The media mind, just more lonely. But Jesus wants us to be fulfilled. And we're talking about love God, love your neighbor as yourself. The very essence of relationship being the core meaning in this universe. God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead. The Son of God, life unborrowed. You have divinity as a three-person Godhead. And then God says, let us make man in, what's the next word? Our image. Did you know there was something in the Garden of Eden during creation week? Before the fall that was not good. Do you remember what it was? There was no sin, Scott. How are you saying that there was something not good? There was something that God said is not good in creation week, before the fall. It was Adam without Eve. We don't have a solitary God, do we? If we did, he would not be good because he would be alone before creating angels. Ah, there's an interesting idea about world religions and here why Christianity has the true picture of God's character. It's a beneficence. It's a giving of love. There has to be an object of love in order to be love, right? If God is love and there's nobody for him to love, it negates his love, doesn't it? This is why this doctrine is important. It's not just a doctrine in a debate or, okay, the, what is the Holy Spirit? And This is the character of God on the line. It's a big, important teaching. And then Adam is by himself. There's no Eve yet. And it's, he says, God, it's not good for man to be alone. That was the text. It is not good for man to be alone. And then he creates Eve. And none of us here are alone, are we? Maybe you're unmarried, but you're not alone. You're in the family of God. You're in the community, the body of Christ. We are knit together. We are one, just as his Father and the Son are one, he said. That's his prayer, that we would be one. That's a beautiful truth, isn't it? Then we're fulfilled. We're fulfilled because we're connected with others. Because we're social beings created in the image of God. Um, this, this thing, by the way, also about the social connectedness one with the other, this, this taps into what is the nature of that relationship. Is it a relationship of taking? Or is it a relationship of giving? Is it for me to acquire? Or is it for me to give? That's a reflection also of God's character in the great controversy. We are made in his image. He says, let us make man in our image. So we're lo more lonely with, mo with more social media. What if you take people off social media and you do a couple studies on this? We saw this one last night. If you missed last night, it was all about the mental health implications of so much media, video games, social media particularly. And they looked at these studies where in Denmark at the University of Pennsylvania, they said, we're going to take these young adults off of social media completely for seven days. Or in the Pennsylvania study, it was down to 30 minutes a day max. And they found last night we saw drop in depression, mental health improving when people detach from social media or do bring it to a very small minimum. And in this instance, it's loneliness. Loneliness dropped 36% in one week of no social media. That's powerful, isn't it? 
Okay, I told you I'd give you the latest stats. Actually, this isn't the latest anymore. <laughs> the Media Mind is from 2019, so add some to this because COVID happened and amplified things even more. But teens consuming nine hours of entertainment and social media per day. 45% of teens say they're online almost constantly. You can see the dark blue there with the 45. That's almost double what it was just four years before that. I'm almost constantly on my device. In other words, this is where I live now. This is where I experience reality or lack thereof. Uh, but this was interesting. Somebody sent me this from a CNN article and I crinkled my forehead at it and said, wait a minute, by the numbers, kids are not spending more time with screens than they were in the 80s. I remember the 80s. I did some screen time. It was not good screen time. But it wasn't nine hours per day. I mean, that would have been unheard of. Do you want to know what the average was in the 80s when you get the research papers out and you write the graphs together and you, you actually look at the data? It's 3.5 hours per day in the 80s of screen time. That's a lot. But it's almost tripled since then to nine hours per day in 2016 was that number actually, not 2019. But the media mind, when we read the news or we hear the thing or we, you know, we're just passively taking things in, we become deceivable. And that's important that we be critical thinkers because another way we are an image bearer of God is that we've been given the power to think and to do. It's, it's that we have been given something akin to that of the creator. We are small c creators in the sense that we can think and do. Let's just focus on the think part right now. To think means to evaluate something that we read or hear. We're evaluating right now, right? Your frontal lobe is engaging. It's like, what about this? I wonder about that angle. Oh, that's interesting. How does that compare with the scripture? As a teacher, that's important. That's my heart that every audience that ever encounters our content and our seminars would be engaged in that process. That this is a two-way experience, hence the emails, right? But uh, the mind of Christ, when we have that restoring of the image of God in man, we are thinkers. We are critical thinkers, and we don't just go, oh, okay, kids today are not doing any more media than they were in the 80s. How did that make it past the editors? I know there's a typo in there some people are noticing too. Maybe it just never went to edit. Teens, how about parents though? I get the question, can we get Brother Ritzman to come to speak to our youth? And I usually say, no, can I speak to everybody? Because we're all struggling with this. Parents are almost as high as the teens. Nearly eight hours per day of entertainment and social media. That's in addition to media for work, in addition to school media for the teens, that nine hour and that eight hour. The average parent is spending twice as much time just watching Netflix than all quality time with their children combined. Wait a minute, that sounds familiar from Thursday night who were here. You remember teens are on their smartphones twice as much as talking to parents. So this goes both ways, or it goes this way, I guess. As we saw in the Bible, this is a prophesied thing that the home that the division would happen and it would not be a connection, but then the good prophecy in Malachi 3. I know I'm repeating myself, but this bears repeating. Malachi 4, rather. The very end of the Old Testament, it says, in the last days, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So before Jesus comes again, and of course that applied also with the John the Baptist and the Elijah message, the first coming, but especially at the great and dreadful day of the Lord, the hearts of the fathers and the hearts of the children will turn toward each other again. So we can have that restoration in our families and in all of our relationships. The average adult spends more time looking at screens now than sleeping. The average American spends 65% of their waking hours consuming media. The average American now spends 4.7 hours on their smartphone per day and checks their phones 80 to 150 times per day. It just becomes habitual. It's an appendage now, right, of my body. And still somehow we manage to watch four hours of TV per day. I'm waiting for that number to dip, right, as everything is online. Everything is tablets and smartphones and, and the computers and 
TVC keeps maintaining as we just pile on and add more. And as you look at the culture around us, you're tempted. I'm tempted to go, okay, I'm nowhere near those catastrophic, insane numbers, so I'm good, right? Well, maybe, but maybe not. The Bible says that's not a good approach to use where I just compare myself with the culture around. And as long as my bar is a little higher, my benchmark is a little better, well, that's a moving target because the culture seems to be degrading more and more, doesn't it? Specifically, it says that we shouldn't measure ourselves by ourselves and compare ourselves among ourselves. That is not wise. What's a wise way to go about this? Well, we can start by saying, okay, good media use, screen time for productive purposes, use of tools like social media that are not an inherent evil necessarily. But what if the, the media, even as innocuous and morally harmless as it is, what if the media I'm consuming might be problematic to my mental health, to my spiritual health, to my attention span we'll talk about in just a minute. But I got to interlude with this. My dad was an optometrist, okay? So he'd have the guy who would come into the office and, oh, how's your vision? Any blurred vision? Any pain? No, everything's good. I'm just in for my routine checkup. Okay, go ahead and read that top line, please. And then you can read the top line with ease, right? But about the time you get down to that third line, no, you've got no prescription. You don't have glasses. Everything's okay. But then you go, wait a minute, is that a C or a G or an O or a Q? Am I supposed to be able to read that? Which one is clearer? One or two? Um, two. Which one is clearer now? Two or three? Um, two. What does this mean? Which one is clearer? Two or four? Two, and then he breaks it to you. Two is your new prescription. You can actually see better with that prescription, can't you? So you thought you were seeing okay. You came in and tried something, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Test me in these things and see if I don't open the floodgates of blessing upon you. God invites us like Daniel and his friends. Ten days, let's try something out and see what harm could there be in a test, in a trial, in an experiment. So maybe I do like they did in Pennsylvania or in Denmark. Maybe I eliminate social media for a week or I bring it down to this amount of time and there's so many different boundaries we can put on things. I don't use those examples as like the thing everybody is called to do. What is God asking us to try when it comes to our media use? And you could do these kind of things with diets. You can do these kind of things with all sorts of health laws. But what is he asking each of us to do? One thing we could try, and I'll just leave that for now, but moving on to some of the effects of media is at night. When we are using screen time at night, that is blue light oriented you're going to end up with suppression of melatonin and lower quality sleep. You can imagine the light of the setting sun and candles and the hearth side, the fire, the, uh, the lantern. It's got a dimmer light frequency to it, right? Color, for, color spectrum. It's kind of like where in the Bible, God wants us to have good sleep. It says in Psalm 127, He giveth His beloved sleep. And in Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Doesn't that sound nice? I hope it doesn't sound too nice right now at the moment because this is not the time for that. But God likes us to have the energy from a good night of sleep, huh? But teen sleep deprivation has been through the roof. They're supposed to be getting nine hours of sleep, believe it or not. That's actually how you optimize brain development at a key window, a critical window for brain development with the frontal lobe linking up with the rest of the brain, myelination of those nerve, uh, nerve uh, pathways. And they're getting less than seven on average. Nine hours is actually prom uh, ideal, is, is the 
the best for their development. Adults too, 95% of us are using our device in the hour before bed with the blue light. And not just the light, but the stimulation of it. If you're on social media, it's a cortisol release. It's a higher stress activity, not to mention video games and super entertaining and stimulating things even more of that stressor to the body, the fight or flight mode that we get put in. But 87% of us adults go to bed with and wake up with our device. And that's not necessarily inherently bad. I mean, if it's an alarm, if you've got the, the blue light blocked, if you're using it for low stimulant spiritual purposes, that can, of course, be a positive thing. But for many of us, we're struggling with our sleep largely because of this. The children who use their devices in the hours before bedtime are two times more likely to be sleepy the next day at school. And even just 15 minutes of screen time can do it. Uh, so the quality of the sleep will be inferior even if it's not I can't fall asleep. It's just not as deep in quality of sleep. So the media mind is more tired. But the mind of Christ energized. And that's what God wants for us. I thought about how do we do evenings as a family and our family. And I was going back to the, some of the councils on this. And it's like, as a rule, the labor of the day should not be prolonged into the evening. Let parents devote the evenings to their families. Lay off care and perplexity with the labors of the day. Adventist home, child guidance. Let the evenings be spent as happily as possible. I love that quote. And the one we had two nights ago, Thursday night, it was make the children's lives as happy as possible. That's God's desire for us. When he says taste and see, you're going to see that it's good. When he says live like I've designed you to live, when I made you in my image, it's a certain way. I've got the design protocols for your brain. I know how to make you thrive and have joy in this life, not to mention for eternity. And so we have that same attitude. It's not a restricting. It's not an angry, cold, strict, rules-based thing. It's here's why, how we become empowered, how we become connected, how we be filled with love from God and for each other. Form a home reading circle. As an example, what do we do? I don't know what to do with my time. We get these kind of questions at our seminars like, okay, if we give up this or that and this or that, what do I do? Like, I forgot how to be human, right? One thing is reading real books. Uh, we don't have time this weekend for the session called People of the Book in the Age of the App. I really like that idea of getting back to real paper books. Not just, it's okay, of course, everybody uses screens for reading. You've seen a lot of research done for this seminar using screens, but getting together for that home reading circle, lay aside the busy cares of the day. Uh, one thing I failed to mention about the sleep disruption, and this applies across the board all day, and that is video games, particularly for children, are more hyper-stimulating than entertainment television. Entertainment television, of course, is very engaging, and it's a new image on the screen every two seconds. We'll talk about that more this evening and how that alters brainwave frequency, but uh, the video games tend to have about a four-fold increased potency in sleep disruption in the children. For two hours of television, you only need 30 minutes of video games in order to get the same level of sleep disruption. So two hours is four times more than 30 minutes. Don't worry, that's not going to be on the test. But cortisol release is going to increase the obesity epidemic, of course. It's diet and high stress that tend to pack those, uh, those fatty tissues in the most harmful areas. So the children who are on their, uh, their, their media are twice as more likely to pester their parents for junk food. So it's a vicious cycle. Just one hour of TV per week increases obesity for two-year-olds. That's why the American Academy of Pediatrics says don't have kids before two on these uh, on any media, except they make one exception. I failed to mention that two nights 
minutes ago. FaceTime with grandma. That's not going to fly if you take that away from grandma, is it? I got to see the little baby. You know, that's important. Um, don't want it too close to the cranium, by the way, because uh, that uh, electromagnetic frequency with the, with the, the child's developing brain is, is harmful if it's close for long periods. 96.6% um, of toddlers and preschoolers use mobile devices. So it's almost all are doing that. And two to five-year-olds average four hours of screen time per day. Um, AAP recommends none up until those early ages. World Health Organization says zero screen time before age five if you can. And then by the age of seven, they've spent an entire year of their lives in front of a TV screen. The average child by the age of six will have watched more television than the time spent in conversation with his father his whole lifetime. More television time before the age of six than conversation with dad entire lifetime on average, because there's some kids who never see their dad, so that brings the numbers down. But we were talking last night and the night before about hyperstimulation, and I paraphrase this quote. I finally get to put it on the screen. It's a foundational quote for understanding child development. And you might say, well, I don't have kids. Is this only about kids? What you read here is beneficial for all of us, and the research bears that out. But it's especially helpful for children in their development, developmental years, including the teen years. The more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitements and the more in harmony with nature, the more favorable it is to physical and mental vigor and to spiritual strength. So we saw nature is the antidote to so much of these media problems. In harmony with nature, if we're going to use media at whatever age, the more nature-paced it is, the better. Because then it's not overstimulating and hyperstimulating and problematic to our brain function. The more quiet and simple and the more in harmony with nature, the more free from artificial excitement, the better it is for our development. But Here's we're doing the doing opposite. Just about you know, we saw the AAP's recommendation. Uh, we're going to show you some YouTube video here of a one-year-old video. Of this. Who is happily and, the baby, and expertly you know, playing the with the, I the iPad magazine? Why aren't the pictures Apparently moving? Just what to do? Then she tried she's a real to, magazine. To, to pinch it, it should be growing magazine. smaller she, and larger. There, she's trying that to. That's sad. The baby doesn't know how the real world works, how a physical paper magazine works, because we put him in the iPad activity seat. This is not a made-up graphic. This is a real thing. Fisher Price iPad activity seat for newborns. I mean, we know so conclusively, so definitively about the harmful effects of media. You can't trust the industry to make those kind of discernment decisions decisions. iPotty. Oh, come on. How to be human again. Raise your hand if you were two and you learn how to use the potty like a normal human. Everybody, right? We're going to use it on a video game interface with the tablet and it's going to be incentivized. You get the ding, ding, ding if you do the potty correctly. And uh, we're, we're setting them up for no intrinsic motivation, aren't we? I mean, everything's going to be gamified now. There's no incentive to do anything and accomplish anything when it's all a digital interface like this. But not just that. When we start from early ages with media, and really all of us, the more uh, fast-paced media we do, the lower our attention span gets. This is a real headline from Time Magazine. You now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish, which has a nine-second attention span. You're saying, we have an attention span of less than nine seconds? Eight seconds is the average human attention attention span in the industrialized world, according to the report cited by Time magazine. That's sad, right? I mean, God has the answer to this, though. Nature. It's, it's the answer to everything. Jesus as seen in nature. Numerous studies have shown nature exposure it increases attention span. And interestingly, one time they said, well, let's put kids on a playground because we know playing outside helps them. Let's put a control group in an urban playground where they're surrounded by a concrete jungle and then put the, the kids in the nature-based playground where it's the same kind of toys, same demographic of kids, but some get nature around them and some get cement around them. 
These ones got a greater attention span boost than these ones. Does that bring up a, a, some compassion and some empathy for those trapped in these urban jungles, the underprivileged in our society? Getting nature exposure is really a matter of justice and kindness and compassion to the needy. Um, even just beholding a fish in a fish tank increases your attention span, which gives new meaning to by beholding we become changed, because we can acquire and achieve that nine second attention span again by watching fish in a fish tank. And we can become, I hope we become beyond the fish though. I think we want to become Christ-like, don't we? Beholding Christ, we will become transformed into the same image from glory to glory. But we're on attention span, so we got to sum that up with the media mind is distractible, but the mind of Christ is attentive. And you might say, well, does attention span really matter? I guess kids in school, but you know, attention span matters to all of us because the Bible says take heed many times, 80 times in the King James Bible. That means pay attention to what God is saying and asking of you. Are we attentive to his spirit? Or is everything just distracting us? And then also attention span matters because executive function, where our prefrontal cortex pays attention, isn't only about attention span. This same area of the brain also helps us regulate our emotions and impulses, exercise wise judgment and planning, and have the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, self-regulation, self-governance, and that's executive function. So if our attention span is waning and going the wrong direction over time, then we're going to be struggling in these other areas as well. Also, the average person, so say the researchers on this, it takes quite a bit of time, really, to solve a big problem or have the big aha moment if you're in the creative business of some kind. The problem solving and creativity takes, on average, a 15 minute time, 20 minute time period to really roll something over, to evaluate, to test, to think about it, to, to uh, really have the big light bulb moment. Ten, 15 to 20 minutes. Do you know how many seconds that is? Anybody doing the math? How many seconds is 15 to 20 minutes? It's like a thousand seconds, right? That's a lot more than eight seconds. That's our attention span. We've been given a power akin to that of the Creator, image bearers of God, right? We are not gods, but we are, we've been given a power like that of the Creator, akin to that of the Creator, the power to think and to do. Small c, we can create. We can be thinkers and be inventors and be problem solvers and do things, original things, building on other things having nuanced, complex ideas that the rapid-fire, rapid-paced thing where 77% of young adults admit the first thing they do when they're not occupied with something is they just grab their phone, just hit the home button or it just opens up or whatever. That's the old phone, but um, okay, what's on there? Well, nobody called you. I mean, why did you pick it? Well, I'm just going to see. What are you going to see? I don't know. I just got to go. I, I, it's like I need a stimulant. Last night, remember, I just got to tap a lever. I got something's going to hit a little dopamine here. I'm going to get a little like that I see on my, my uh, platform of social media or whatever. So uh, we don't have time to really be thinkers and doers. The media mind becomes more dull, but the mind of Christ more creative. And there's really, 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 really good news about this, especially after last night. I know I kind of left you hanging a little bit with a mental health crisis, particularly among youth, young adults, a mental health, that's not hyperbole, crisis to the max. How do we come out of this? We've seen nature and stuff like that, but I want to show you actual psychiatry practice in action. This is Dr. Victoria Dunkley. She's the author of Reset Your Child's Brain. And in this book, she explains the three-week media fast and the program that she's used to 
she can't use the word cure or heal, and I'm not diagnosing or curing or healing anything, but you'll just see. Let's just listen. Dr. Dunkley had, has treated hundreds of children with previously diagnosed disorders. So this isn't just all of us kind of having more prone to boredom and more low attention spans, and we might feel a little lower than we ought. It might not qualify as depression. It might not qualify as ADHD. We have more thoughts of, you know, anxiety and fear, but it might not qualify as, you know, we're all kind of on a spectrum with just how much we're thriving but she's taking the worst cases over here that are the diagnosed disorders. They've all met the threshold of you have ADHD, whatever that threshold might arbitrarily be set at, but it's, a, it's the worst side of the, the spectrum here of mental health. These are kids and young people with disruptive mood dysregulation disorder. You can understand what that means. These are kids with depression, anxiety, bipolar, all kinds of very serious mental health conditions that are handled by professionals using uh, psychiatric treatments that are common in our society today. Well, she's the alternative practitioner on this. She's like, you know, we're not going the pharmaceutical route. We're going to do something different, try something different. So that's why people seek out her practice on this. And her prescription is simply a media fast. That's it. We're going to have, and, and very strict, not that this is like recommended for everybody, but we're talking zero screen time at all. Because we're going to take it all away for three weeks, and then we'll see what kinds we can add back to not return to the kind of symptoms we were seeing. Well, what are the results of this three weeks? Sometimes she says it takes four weeks, but um, what are the results of this? She's done hundreds, hundreds of young people, and it's this, 80% of these young people have the majority of their symptoms disappear in three weeks or sometimes four weeks. 50% have all of their symptoms disappear. Let that sink in. We just found not only the cause but the solution to the majority of the mental health issues. Not just loneliness, not just attention span, but all of it. The majority of the problem is being caused by media exposure of various kinds to varying degrees of harm. You take it all away, and three or four weeks you got half of them are cured. I know we can't say that word. That's not the word I meant to use. Please forgive me. <laughs> Whatever, what do you call that when all your symptoms are disappeared? 80% of them have the, are well on the way to having all their symptoms disappear. Screen time is a contributing factor to virtually all the children she has treated. She explains, I began, I began prescribing video game restriction with startling results. She finds video games to be the, the, the most significant harm, the most addictive and high stimulating video games being the worst of that worst bunch. I observed how the vast majority of children exhibited certain symptoms surrounding gameplay. Symptoms strikingly similar to amphetamine exposure. That's a heavy thought right there. And if you were here last night, you heard Dr. Nicholas Cardaris, author of the book Glow Kids. And he said, I've treated hundreds of heroin addicts, and I've also treated many screen addicts. And he says, it's easier to treat a heroin addict than a screen addict. So these things about video games and pornography and all this being addictive, even social media, um, that's very serious. The World Health Organization and the American Psychiatric Association now have diagnosed like official named disorders of video game addiction and these other screen addictions. And it's not that you need their official. You see it, you know, when you see it, you know it. And you see the symptoms, you see the problems, and you see less joy, happiness, thriving in life, the more of those things that you bring in. And so when you remove those things, here's the good news. She says these symptoms resolve in the days or weeks of complete abstention. Their development would grow by leaps and bounds when screens were most restricted. And the amazing thing about this, these stats is this didn't even include, let's optimize 
optimize their lives with replacing the media with the best things possible. They didn't even include the best things possible. It's you could stare at a blank white wall for, you know, three weeks and it's still you're in her data. What if we replace the media with loving relationships, with restored families, with spiritual connection with Jesus Christ, with much nature time, with practical hobbies and purpose and service of others? I mean, we could just talk about the whole life of the Christian, how wonderful and joyful God designed for us to live with him, for him, in his image. These numbers would be even bigger if we did it God's way completely. So the media mind is not well as we cruise toward the end. I want to invite the musicians down for our closing hymn. But you know the word healing, I like being our last word on the PowerPoints because you know what salvation means? The word salvation in Greek literally means to be healed. When we talk about how to be human again, we're saying the restoring, the complete restoring of the image of God in man. We'll always have the frailties of a fallen body. But we can be spiritually renewed. That means like new. Will you choose ye this day to try something out? Where you say, you know what? That kind of made me take off. I'm thinking more clearly. I feel better. I feel like I have more time to do something I wanted to do. Let me just try a week without that. Or let me just try a week limiting that to this. Or let me take the notifications off my device or take the app out of my device. And I got to do this on here. Or I got to get on here to do something on my web browser. But let, let it not be the ball and chain, the constant thing. Because maybe that's an addiction cycle in itself. Not to mention video games and other things that are so harmful. What will we all try today? Choose ye this day whom ye shall serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We choose what he leads us. There's no prescription being stated and laid down today, but there is one, isn't there? To each individual heart. We want to be wholly his as we're going to sing, holy thine. We surrender ourselves, body and soul unto Jesus. We say, everything I do, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I want it to be the glory of God. And that's not to withhold and make my life hard and miserable. Yeah, it's hard coming off an addiction, but joy comes in the morning, Jesus said. You will weep, you will grieve, you will mourn. But joy comes in the morning. You will be fulfilled. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Again, if you like to use the hymnal better, it's 308. But the words will be on the screen. Holy done. Completely yours. I would be dear Savior, holy done. Teach me how, teach me
benediction. Uh, one quick announcement for every family who's done the PAL sign-up. You'll meet with your Campion students. We're going to be over in the Connect Center, over in the New Wing, in just a moment after service here. So I'll, I'll handle distribution of families to, to their hosts. I, on behalf of the Campion Church, I want to officially welcome to the church family, Dwayne Tiger. Welcome to the church. Glad to have you as part of our community. You can greet the newest member of the body of Jesus Christ after today's service. He's going to go stand in the back right by that map back there and shake some hands and get to know the church family a little bit. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Pastor Scott, would you have our benediction? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for giving us the abundant life. Sometimes we evade that path and we walk that wide and broad road, which may seem easy, but we know that narrow way will fulfill we know that it is eternal life to know Jesus Christ is simply our desire to know him better and to move anything out of the way that is preventing that relationship from deepening. We want to know Jesus as he intends for us to know him, as we experience the transforming and renewing of our minds. We make a commitment right now that we can be restored to the image of God in man by choosing, by faith, his merits, his sacrifice, surrendering anything that might be in the way. And may we make that commitment now in our hearts as we say yes to your invitation, whatever that looks like in each individual life. We know what our problem areas might be with media. And we just say yes to you to get that out of the way, to try something, to do a trial for a certain number of days. And we've, we've already thought that through, and we just want to say yes to that now, individually in our own hearts. And if something is of the world, Lord, we know we are not to touch it. Touch no unclean thing, the Bible says, and I will receive you. So we obey that command. That is a very clear directive from your word that if any man loves the world, we don't love the Father simultaneously, so we don't want to try to serve two masters. Anything that's of the world that's not true and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, we say no to that right now. We only want to do media that we could see Jesus doing if he were in our shoes. So that's a commitment we make before you now as well. Here's our heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. In Jesus' name, amen.